Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get the athletic for a discounted rate. Boy, oh boy, the NBA season has started. We've got the in-season tournament just knocking on the door. We start tonight with that. But Alex, before we talk about that, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, it all started last Friday night in Dallas, where the Mavericks were taking on the Brooklyn Nets. Cam Thomas, the Hooper's Hooper, scored 30 points in the game, but the story of the night was Luka Doncic. Luka hit four consecutive three-pointers in the final three minutes of the game, including an absurd hook shot banked in three-pointer to put the Mavs up by three with 26 seconds left. The Mavs are 4-0 and currently the only undefeated team in the Western Conference. On Saturday, Andrews Wizards, as they are now known, picked up their first win of the season. Jordan Poole had 27 on 23 shots. Kyle Kuzma had 21 on 23 shots. That doesn't sound great, but fortunately for the Wizards, they were playing the worst team in the league, the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are broken. They do not work anymore. After two subsequent losses, the Grizz are now 0-5, their worst start since 2002. If you're looking for a glimmer of hope with this team, you are probably wasting your time. But their next two games are in Portland. So listen, you know, you split those. <laughs> now you're the one Blazers and six. The Blazers have actually won games, though. <laughs> uh, that's why I'm just giving them the split. Okay, I'm not saying 2-0. Okay. Oh. Okay. Give them the split. Now you're one and six. Okay, Bismack Biombo is here. You know, boom. Season save. Boom. Sunday was the 20th anniversary of LeBron James's first NBA game, a game against the Kings in Sacramento. 20 years later, LeBron was back in Sacramento for another game against the Kings, and this one went to overtime, where Malik Monk scored 11 of his 22 points to help the Kings beat the Lakers 132 to 127. Jaron Fox, who returned in the fourth from an ankle sprain earlier in the game, had 37 points and eight assists, while Anthony Davis led the Lakers with 30 and 16. On Monday, at 11.01 p.m. West Coast time, Sixers fans' prayers were finally answered. James Harden, best known for doing whatever this is every two years, was <laughs> traded from the Sixers to the Clippers for a package that includes multiple firsts, a swap, seconds, and most importantly, the return of process Sixer Robert Covington to Philadelphia. This is the third installment in the Daryl Morey Harden trade trilogy. This was the hangover part three of Harden Trades, with everyone wondering, how did we get here? Why are we still doing this? Why did they do more than one of these? Later in the week, at his introductory press conference, James Harden said, quote, I'm not a system player, I'm a system. And given the well-documented track record of that system, how could you not be excited as a Clippers fan right now? (laughs) 
On Tuesday, it was the first of two Suns-Spurs game that we are going to talk about. The first game, it looked like a blowout early on. I turned it off, Andrew, frankly. I turned it yeah. back on later. Everybody did. Off. Because the Suns led 63-45 to at half. The Spurs looked like garbage, to be honest. I was regretting choosing them as my surprise team. But then, they begin to claw their way back. And in the fourth quarter, the Spurs pull off a miracle. Down by five with one minute left. Victor Wembanyama made two shots in a row to close the gap to one with six seconds left. On the ensuing inbounds play, Kevin Durant caught the pass, and while trying to avoid tiny Trey Jones climbing all over him, he loses track of Kelvin Johnson, who ran behind him, ripped the ball from Durant, and made a contested shot at the rim to steal the game 115 to 114 from the for the Spurs. On Wednesday, the Toronto Raptors came into their game against the Bucks with a hilariously bad half-court offense. The Raps were scoring 77.1 points per half-court possession, a full 10 points per possession worse than last year when their half-court offense was also ranked dead last in the league. Mm -hmm. Good news for them, though, they were playing Milwaukee on Wednesday, who through four <laughs> games has the second-worst defense in the league per cleaning the glass, only better than Andrews Wizards. All five Raptors starters shot over 50% from the field en route to a 130-111 to victory. The Toronto Raptors did that, 130 points. The win was a bright spot in what has otherwise been a disappointing 2-4 start for the Raptors. Their next game, a trip to San Antonio to play Victor Wembanyama, who on Thursday night was the star in a second straight classic between the Suns and the Spurs. This time, the roles were flipped. It was the Spurs who got out to a 27-point lead that the Suns completely erased by the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter. Things were finally starting to make sense again. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, arguably the best duo in the league. They're leading their team back. They're going to finish off these young Spurs. But no, Andrew. It's a new world we're living in. Victor Wembanyama, 19 years old, scores 10 points in the final four minutes. As quick as Phoenix had tied up that game, Wemby and the Spurs had extended the lead back out to double digits, winning with a final score of 132 to 121. Wembanyama finishes with 38 and 10, one of only six players in NBA history to score that many points as a 19-year-old. What a week it was, Andrew. Welcome to Wemby's world, everybody. You know what? Tonight begins a, another new era. The in-season tournament is here. And I thought I'd just walk everybody through real quick how this actually works. Because I, I think some people are confused. And if you are, it's perfectly understandable. There are things about this that are confusing. So in each conference, there are three groups that were selected by win-loss records last season. They're all put together. All those teams will play each other over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, those will be designated tournament nights. And so you will see these brand new courts, these very colorful courts that will be on display starting tonight. That should be very interesting. So the games start tonight. Each team will play the other teams in group play. Each team will get two home games and two road games. Eight teams will advance to the knockout rounds. So this is where I think people are understanding, like this is where the tournament starts, is these knockout rounds. It's the best. It's the team that has the best record from group play, plus two wildcard teams. And the wildcard teams will be chosen from each conference, one from each conference with the best be record the in group Lakers in the play. Knicks. Yeah, um, probably, <laughs> probably so. And these will be the two teams that finish with the second best record in their group. So I'm interested to see how that actually pans out. 
but you'll get one wildcard team from each conference that will join the knockout rounds. So the knockout rounds will be single elimination that begins with in-team market. So these won't be played in Vegas quite yet. So these quarterfinals will be played in market. And then the semifinals and the finals will be played in Vegas, December 7th and 9th. And then we will crown the the winner of the NBA Cup. I don't know if there's like, do you get a banner? Do you think the the, uh, the teams will hang in-season uh, tournament banners? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So you it'll be, to. it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Uh, I was talking to some people that are like, man, I didn't realize how quick this was coming. Like the this season tournament starting now. I feel like we barely yeah. even know anything about these teams. So I think the idea is to just hop into the season. You kind of sort through who your team is. Honestly, like this this time between the end of October through December is when you find out what teams are good and what teams are bad and who's in the middle. Like these this is a really important time during the NBA season. So to sort it out during an in-season tournament, I think is a really interesting idea. So that starts. Yeah. The, I, the, the part of it I love is anyone who follows, you know, European football, what they're doing in the premier league. This is very similar to that. You know, they have like mm-hmm. the Carabao cup and the FA cup and those games start within like a couple weeks of the season starting. Um, and they're just kind of played midweek. The thing I would love to see long-term is kind of what they do with the Champions League in terms of how they pick the actual groups, where it's completely mm-hmm. random in some sense. Um, yeah. And I would love to see it be where you could have a group with teams from the Eastern Conference and Western Conference, so you could have mm. that experience of having like a group of death, where you just randomly yeah. get five good teams all together, and it's like, oh my gosh, four of these teams aren't going to make it. I think that would be yeah. really fun. And then the other thing they do with like the, the FA Cup is once you get to the knockout stage – they randomize what the matchups are going to be and where you're going to play. And I think that would be really fun too because maybe there is a, a team that you don't think of as good who sneaks through to that knockout round and, and everyone wants to play them. I think things like that going forward can make this a little bit more exciting. But I am excited and I'm, and I'm glad they're trying something new and uh, well, we'll see how it goes. They're still regular yeah. season games so they still count, you know? So yeah. it's like... They all still count you're watching except for already. the finals. Yes, I... I love it. I'm excited about it. I am an in-season tournament believer. I know a lot of people are not, but I love it. I'm very excited for it. So uh, we wanted to talk about, we wanted to give some uh, some good news, bad news about some young players around the league. You know, we're only five games into the season, and I think with a lot of the vets out there, you know, if they have if they start out struggling, you know, they're not shooting well from three, you don't really worry about it because they have this long track record and you can just look back and say, oh, they're probably going to regress to the mean. Same thing if someone's shooting or, or playing way above how they normally play, you can kind of mm-hmm. guess, okay, something's a little weird here. This is probably going to go back. But when it's a young player, sometimes you don't know. And so you're, it's very easy to overreact one way or the other. And so we wanted to look at a few young players and give either some, well, we're going to give good news and bad news about all of these players. But it's up to you, Andrew, whether you want to start with the good news or you want to start with the bad news. So uh, who would you like to start with today? Uh, I'm going to start with one of my favorite young players in the league, Jeremy Sohan. Uh, I think he has had a very interesting first five games of the season. <laughs> I'll start with the good news. <laughs> He's averaging 10, 5, and 5 through five games. Five assists per game, up from two and a half assists mm. last season. Uh, he played really well. In that second game against Phoenix, 14, 5, and 9 assists, a block, Zero only one turnovers. turnover. 
Oh, I think he had one, one turnover. I think he had yeah, he had one turnover. Zero turnovers okay. in the in the previous game against the Spurs. Okay. Okay. But generally, I like putting young players in positions to just get better and to kind of stretch who they are as a player. The Spurs aren't concerned this season with even their record, I don't think. I don't think they're concerned. They should with anything, be. But, I, I pick them but, as the surprise team. I wish no, they would. They don't they care. care. <laughs> they don't care, Al. I think that they really, what they care about is putting the right kinds of players around Victor Wimbanyama. Now, we can transition to the bad news in that it's not worked great. <laughs> Outside of last night, uh, the Spurs offense has been vastly better with Trey Jones on the floor. Uh, you should go read Pounding the Rock. They put a really good article up about this particular topic, and I've written a lot about it already. I feel like almost everything they write about is either about Victor Wembanyama or like the fit of <laughs> yeah. Jeremy Sohan at point guard. Uh, but yeah, you should go go read their website because they kind of lay a lot of this out. Jeremy, so- The offense has been really bad with Jeremy Sohan as the lead point guard. According to Synergy, as a pick-and-roll ball handler, the Spurs score point four points per possession, which 96% of the pick-and-roll ball handlers in the NBA are better than that. So he mm. is, he's been real bad as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Uh, Trey Jones has been the player to assist Victor Wembanyama the most on the Spurs. Like, hmm, something's trending here. Maybe they should have Trey Jones out here more. But I actually, to transition back to good news, I think it's a good thing. I'm not sure that Sohan's going to ever be like a primary initiator of the offense for the Spurs. But the more experience that you can get for guys like this to put them in positions to feel a little bit uncomfortable so they can expand their game, I think it's a good thing. He's still really young. He's only 20 years old. And I actually think that these moments are really valuable for players like him. Who He processes the game at a high level. He's a very smart defender. He's a very smart offensive player and passer. Shooting has not been great. He's only made two threes this season. He doesn't take a lot of them, but I think that that's something that needs to develop, and he doesn't get to the free throw line much. So he's got to kind of figure out what he is as a scorer because he can have some nice nights scoring around the hoop. But as a passer and as a facilitator, I think it's it's a good move to just put him in a position to just be stretched. So I'm I'm willing to be patient with this process, and I know that Greg Popovich feels very irritated about being asked about this all the time. I mean, he's he's pretty prickly when it comes to being asked about Jeremy Sohan being uh, their point guard. So uh, I think that's great. I love prickly pop. And uh, shout out to Jeremy Sohan and Point Sohan. I'm still I'm still in on the experience. Yeah, and it kind of felt like he was extending an olive branch uh, in that g- second game against the Suns by closing with both of those guys on the court. Both Trey Jones sure. and Jeremy Sohan, uh, which yep. which worked amazingly because like Sohan's defense at the end of that game was awesome, and Trey yeah. Jones played a really important role as well. Yeah, I uh, I've just been enjoying this as kind of like a flashpoint issue among the Spurs fan base because I follow a lot yeah. of Spurs people and they're all writing about it right now. They're all talking about it right now. Oh, yeah. and there's very strong oh, yeah. opinions on both sides because yeah, if you just look at the stats like. It's obvious. Like, yeah, of course, if you were just trying to win games, you would want Trey Jones more. I saw Bruno Passos uh, put a screenshot up of like the best two man units in the league right now. And uh, I know. Women, Yama, and Trey Jones are like plus 30 something. You know, like th- yeah. they've been very good together and it's been very obvious in every single stat. But yeah, I get, I get what you're saying that they're not, 
they're on a long-term developmental track right now. And especially after last night, it's looking like a maybe longer-term injury for Devin Vassell. He injured his yeah. groin last night. Um, yep. So that that's going to set them back a little bit. So, yeah, getting this – like, when else are you going to have a chance to do this? If, if you want to explore yeah. it, you have to explore it now. Yeah, I mean – and also, I think that long-term, Trey Jones is a, is a nice player. They're going to need to find, like, a long-term guard, though, that has a higher yeah. upside, which they could find in the draft. They could find via trade. I like Trey Jones. I think he's somebody that can be helpful. But, like, the truth is, like, Victor Wimbanyama with a competent, like, steady hand point guard is going to be awesome. And if you can find somebody with a bit more upside and Sohan can be in there as a passer and facilitator too, secondarily, I think it's, I think they're set up really well for the future. So I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't sweat it if I were Spurs fans. I would kind of embrace what's in most things that are happening this year, especially with, with Vic. Uh, so I'm going to start with Cade Cunningham, and I'm going to start with some good news. Through six games, Cade is shooting 41.5% from three on almost seven attempts per game. Now, yeah. coming into his draft, I remember Cade's shot being something that most draft experts were not worried about at all. It was almost seen as like a lock. Like, Cade is going to shoot the ball well. At Oklahoma State, he shot 40% from three on good volume. Mm -hmm. So everyone, no one was really worried about this. But then his rookie seasons happens, and he only shoots 31.4% from three. He comes back in the second year. You know, he only played 12 games because of the injury. He shot 28% in those 12 games. And for a team that desperately needs Cade, not just to shoot, but to be an elite shooter, this was a little concerning, you know, through 80 games or whatever he had played. But in the early going, Cade looks like the shooter he was promised to be. And considering that Monty Williams is starting Cade with three absolutely non-shooters, this yeah. is incredible news for the Pistons. The bad news is that Cade's overall efficiency remains an issue. He's mm -hmm. shooting only 41% from the field overall, which is actually in line with what he did in his first two seasons. The drop-off has been on his two-point percentage. And the main problem, if you dig into it, is his finishing at the rim. He's currently shooting 39% at the rim. Now, the good news there is that this kind of feels unsustainably bad. He's not going to shoot 39% at the rim, considering he shot 58% and 54% at the rim in his first two seasons. I went back and watched all of his two-point attempts this morning. There's not that many. It didn't take me that long. Yeah. In general, I came away feeling pretty good about his finishing. In particular, the game against Chicago, he had a handful of really impressive rim finishes where he's bumping into a guy and still finishing over them. You know, if something did show up, he he does seem to maybe struggle with length a little bit. I thought Mark Williams for the Hornets had a couple of really nice plays against him at the rim. And then last night, Herb Jones for the Pelicans really played him tough. I think Cade was like 8 for 22 or 8 for 23 in that game. And there were a few plays where Herb got him at the rim. But overall, like, I'm not worried about that. So if his rim attempts come back to where they were last season, all of a sudden his overall efficiency profile is going to look a lot better. And so if you believe in the shot, which everyone did, you know, two years ago, it's really just these his rookie season that made kind of throw people off a little bit. I think those efficiency numbers are going to start coming up and overall we're going to start feeling really good about Cade going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He he also just he has a lot of poise. I still believe in him. I mean, it's only been just a handful of games for him. I think he'll figure it out. He he does look good. Uh, another player that I want to talk about 
teammate of Cade Cunningham, Asar Thompson. Mm. We'll start with the bad. We'll start with the bad this time. The the shooting is not there. <laughs> it's, it does not look At good. All. He's 36 percent field goal percentage and six percent from three. Six it is, percent. It is. Yeah, six. <sighs> yeah. He's a uh, thirty-six. Six seventy-eight shooting splits. If you oh my gosh, if you want to. <laughs> that is that is dangerously close to uh, something I termed the singular zone a few years yes. back, which is when your three percentages don't add up to a hundred. Dangerously yeah. close, Andrew. He's being buoyed by his free throw percentage currently, yes. which he hasn't taken a ton of free throws. Shooting looks bad. However, everything else looks amazing. He athletically. I saw him in person the other day. He is a ridiculous athlete. He defended Shea Gilders-Alexander about as good as I've seen anybody, and he's a rookie. He only played a couple games, and he came in and held Shea to two of eight shooting and forced three turnovers when he yeah. was guarding him. He looked amazing against Shea. He looked amazing athletically. He can go and grab an alley-oop. He's a smart player. You can see that he knows how to pass and how to rebound and how to stay in position and set screens and knows where to be. I mean, his rebounding numbers are crazy. He's averaging nine rebounds per game. In his debut, he had 13 rebounds. He looks great. Passing-wise, he's averaging four assists per game as like a secondary guy and even like I don't even know if you even call him a secondary guy. He just knows how to play the game. Like, stocks are way up. He he just looks like he knows how to play. And I think the Pistons have found somebody that's going to stick long-term. He does need to learn to shoot. He does need to figure that aspect out of the game because if you can't shoot 6% and be a starter in the NBA. But as a rookie, to be able to come in and play physical basketball right out of the gate, is really tough, and he's already doing that. He's already a good passer. I think that they have found somebody that can be another cornerstone with Cade for sure. I think he and Cade and Duran are great cornerstones now because of the issues that we've mentioned with the shooting. They need to go find some like real shooters to yeah. pair with these guys. Yeah, I, you know, every draft cycle, it feels like there's half the guys in the lottery where we're saying, you know, if they can just shoot the ball, they can just shoot the ball, this guy's going to be a star. When in reality, most of those guys, even if they had a decent shot, they still probably wouldn't be stars. In the case of Asar Thompson, he literally does everything else. Like oftentimes when you're talking about those types of players, they don't have the passing chops of Asar Thompson. Like they might be really good defenders and they might be good rebounders, but he seems to have every other part of the the game that you would want from him. And so no he truly is one of those players where if he does develop a shot, even if it's just solid, he will be a star because everything yeah. else is there. E- even if his shot is just normal bad and not historically bad, then <laughs> yes. like we're we're in a great range of like stardom for Asar. So yeah, it's a great a great start for him. Also like patience with Asar. Like this he's still very young. We're still just a few games in his career. Like there needs to be a lot of patience. Uh, and hey, he is shooting six percent from three, but he's taking them, which I do appreciate. He was over sure. six last night. How many yep. times have we watched players who we know can't shoot and they're afraid to shoot it? They're hesitant. They're taking like one or two a game. 
like if he's going to become a shooter, he has to be willing to shoot it in addition to actually getting better at shooting. So, yes, yeah, he, he and, and that, good. yeah, if he shot 6% the whole season but averaged three per game, I'd feel really good about that. I, I honestly don't care that much about the. I mean, I do care about the percentage. I don't care that much about it with him because confidence is like going to be the number one thing for him to improve because a lot of guys, they'll start out shooting. I mean, then like the disrespect with, because of the percentage is so low starts where you have like guys like yeah. Chris Paul that will just like completely turn their back on guys and just like yeah. look to the rim because they know that ball is coming off the rim. So he's he definitely needs to, he needs to keep his confidence. He needs to improve his shooting. But I, I kind of believe in him. I believe in him and his brother to just be good pros. Uh, so my next player, Tyrese Maxey. Now the good news is basically everything. I mean, Tyrese Maxey has been put in this – New role as the primary ball handler. You know, we were wondering, is James Harden going to come back at some point? Don't have to worry about that anymore. And he has checked off every single box you would want for someone moving into a new role like this. His usage has slightly increased. It's the highest of his career. But his efficiency has increased at the same time. He has a 65% true shooting through, you know, their opening four or five games, however many it's been. He's been incredible, averaging 27 points per game, 5.8 assists per game. I went back and watched all his assists, and to be honest, like most of them are pretty straightforward passes, but he creates so many of those passes ended up being easy because he was putting so much pressure on the defense, especially like in transition. Like when he gets the ball, he is out sprinting. He's moving so fast, and a lot of times that would just lead to him being able to make a super easy pass out to someone like DeAnthony Melton or something for a wide-open three. He's shooting 50% from three on seven three-point attempts per game. <laughs> that is incredible. He's getting to the player, line. Player of the week, baby. Player of the week. Getting to the line almost seven times per game and shooting 93%. Jackson Frank wrote an article about Maxi for basketballnews.com and pointed out that he's already logged in his first four games two games with at least 10 free-throw attempts, a feat that he accomplished just three times in his first 231 NBA games. So this is this is a different player that we're seeing. So this is good news, bad news, Andrew, though. What could possibly mm-hmm. be the bad news? Oh, one more. Actually, some more good news. More good news. Back to good news real quick. This team, the Sixers, for the past mm-hmm. several years, have at times been a very tough watch. They just aren't a team that is necessarily <laughs> been fun to root for. And Maxi has been like this shining star you know, you listen yeah, to Sixers podcast. Everyone loves Maxi, and it's like Maxi. As long as Maxi is there, I can stand watching this team, following this team, because yeah. he brings so much joy. Having him in this primary role now completely changes the complexion of watching this Sixers team. They're so much more enjoyable to watch as a team. They're a feel-good team right now. I like yeah. look forward to watching the Sixers in a way that I did not in previous seasons. Yeah. So that was, shout that was out one Mike, more piece of business. Shout out Mike Muscala. Shout out Mike Muscala. He he brought Tyrese Maxey to the city of brotherly love. Um, okay, bad news. One that's not really bad news. It's just I would like to see more. He's taken seven threes per game. Why? Why isn't it more? Why isn't it more? Do you know how many guys? <laughs> it's serious? not enough, Andrew. He's such a good shooter. Why is he only taking seven a game? Do you know how many players in the league take more threes than Tyrese Maxey? What would you guess off the top of your head? More than seven per game? Uh, 26. That was very close. It's 23. 
23. Okay. It shouldn't be 23. It should be like <laughs> 10 max. He should be shooting but he eight can, to nine but he, times He's got to get downhill too. He's so fast. No, shut up. Listen to the guys who are around <laughs> nine threes per game. Yeah. Uh, Zach Levine, Tyler Hero, CJ, Max Struess, Keegan Murray, Larry Markinen, Tim Hardaway Jr. Why is he not in that group? He can take nine threes a game. He's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. it's not like – I know he's not going to shoot 50% from three this entire season. But no. you look back, I mean, he shot like 43% from three last year. I just think there's still more to be gained here from Tyrese Maxey's shooting. Okay, the other like bad news – and this is more questionable as well, is just the uncertainty about the future. They make yeah. this James Harden trade. There are already reports that Philly plans to pursue a, quote, high-level guard. I know. You know, Maury's been one of these guys in the past who hasn't really worried about fit as much. He's just like, I'm just going to get the talent in here, and it's going to work itself out. After watching Maxi in these opening couple of games, seeing what a Maxi-led Sixers team looks like, there's a part of me that worries – that he is not going to worry about fit, and he's going to bring in a guard that just doesn't work with Maxi or doesn't allow Maxi to be his full self. So yeah. that is just like that's just you know in the back of my head that I'm worried about that mm-hmm. a little bit. Everything else, good news, great news, arguably. Great news. But yeah. I just hope that they prioritize Maxi and his development going forward this season. And don't try mm-hmm. to shoehorn in some other guy, and then all of a sudden Maxi is back to the role he played last year. Because I do think there is a star level player here, but they have to give him that opportunity for that star player to emerge. Yeah, Maxi's been amazing. Yeah, With, without him, things would be very bleak in Philly. Although they do have Kelly Oubre, so still watchable there. But you got the combination of Oubre and Maxi. <laughs> That was a great night yeah. of basketball. Yeah, that's a great night of basketball. Uh, I have another quick one. Uh, good news, bad news. Jordan Hawkins, who has played a pretty big role, a lot of it due to injuries with the Pelicans. Um, the good news, I I saw him the other night in Oklahoma City. He contributed in a lot of other ways other than shooting. He did take 13 threes, which I loved. He only hit two of them, but it's just like the ability to just get 13, to take 13 threes is just awesome. I thought that was great. He contributed on the board some. He is real small. He's real skinny. But he's somebody that I feel like can kind of fill out a little bit. He can take different kinds of shots. He passed the ball well. He had a couple steals that were really timely, too. He he just knows how to play. And so I really like that pick for them. And I think like long-term, it's really going to pay off because they really need shooting around their main guys in Zion and B.I., I think he's somebody that's going to play really well. And the bad news is he just hadn't shot the ball well so far. Um, he is a shooter. The, the stroke looks really good. But he's only shot 27%. I expect that to go up. I expect him to be like a 37 to 42% three-point shooter for his career. And once he does that, and if he's already contributing in other areas with his passing and his rebounding, I think that the Pelicans may have found another really nice role player. And when you get Trey Murphy back, and you can play Jordan Hawkins with them, I think that they may have found like a really nice core to kind of move forward with Zion and BI that fit really well. Because what do you need? You need contributors all around, but you really need shooting. And I think that with the bad news of him not being able to shoot it well through his first five games, I just have to believe that's going to turn around. I think he's yeah. going to have a 9-for-13 game. 
here where he just explodes because he can get those shots off. He's got a quick release. They're finding him. They believe in him. They continue to turn back to him in a in a tough contested game in Oklahoma City. So yeah, I think that he's somebody that I think will really thrive. And I, he kind of reminded me a little bit of his teammate CJ McCollum with the way that he was able to get some of his shots off. So I, I think he's going to be a really nice addition to the Pelicans, especially once that three-point shot starts to fall. Yeah, and I think the other good news is there were definitely concerns in the pre-draft process about his defense and and how that would translate. Not the biggest guy mm-hmm. out there. And I don't know mm-hmm. if he's ever going to be a lockdown defender, but he competes defensively. And and yeah. he's he he tries hard enough where that's not going to prevent him from getting on the court. So I yeah. think that's another good sign for him. Yeah, totally. Ultra competitor. I, I think that he's going to end up working out really nicely for them. All right, Al. After this quick break, we are going to talk about the Atlanta Hawks with Lauren Williams. We'll be right back. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a wheel, it lands on a random team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. And this week, (laughs) the wheel landed on the Atlanta Hawks. Now, the Hawks, they lost their first game of the week last Friday night to the Knicks, but guess what? They rattled off three straight wins, including impressive wins over Milwaukee on the road and Minnesota at home. The Hawks now sit at 3-2 with the third-ranked offense and 17th-ranked defense, according to Clean the Glass. Andrew, if the Hawks are a favorite team, who is our guest? We have Lauren Williams. She's the Hawks beat writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. <laughs> Lauren, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's a little early for me, but we're here. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, it's kind of tough getting back into like this NBA rhythm. You know, we're just a few games in, and it's like, man, it's like, should I feel this tired this early on in the season? I thought it was <laughs> I just me. I feel like me. a baby. I thought it was just no. me. I'm glad it's not. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. And like the Thunder on like a big homestand. I've been to just a bunch of, you know, Thunder home games. I don't, I don't typically yeah. travel either for road games. But it's just like, man, just feels like a lot. But um, no, we're really glad that you could join. And we're this Hawks team is is interesting in that they had a really eventful season last year. They mm-hmm. Kevin Herter was traded before the season. Nate McMillan was fired after 59 games. There were constant John Collins trade rumors. And in the end, the season ended with a 500 record and a first-round loss in the playoffs. Yeah. Being around the team, how different does the mood seem compared to last year? Or do you think like some of the bad vibes talk last season was overblown? Um, can it be a mixture of both? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Where I feel like, you know, there, there are definitely things that weren't working. And I think you could obviously sort of see that spill out in... All of the events happened, you know, as you guys mentioned, Nate McMillan being let go in February, Travis Schlenk stepping back in December, Mm. Um, the rumor of, you know, McMillan trying to quit at some point during the season, the the (laughs) idea of Nate and and Trey having conflict. So, yeah, I think it was a mixture of both of, yes, there were bad vibes around, but I think for the most part, it was still somewhat good somewhat positive that they were able to kind of shift gears when they brought in Snyder um I I would think that a lot of the players they they still were a a solid unit it's just hard when 
there's so much chaos from the top down to actually have a productive season. But I think they still liked each other, still enjoyed each other. It's just hard when you're losing and everything winning cures everything if we're being honest but this mm-hmm. season i do think we can say there is a remarkable change in the vibes and i hate to keep using that word but the vibes are good even even after those first two losses um you know they lost to charlotte in their home opener you guys just mentioned the knicks on friday they lost to them but the mood didn't really shift that much. There was still a lot of optimism. You could still still tell that these guys were really excited to play with each other. Um, they brought in veterans like Patty Mills, who is known for his vibes, <laughs> um, yeah. and Wesley Matthews, who has been quite a rallying force for a lot of these guys on the floor, even though he hasn't mm. been able to kind of play. He's been that good locker room presence. And, you know, as, as much as John Collins tried to be that guy, it's a lot different when you have two guys who have 15 years, 14 years before they came to the Hawks of experience in the NBA. Um, a guy like Patty, who who knows what it takes to win a championship. You know, he did that with the Spurs and played some pretty good minutes during that season for them. So I, I think when you have a lot of guys who have positive energy, it eventually spills out. And it seemed like you know, during training camp, they were having a lot of fun, even though it sounded like there were a lot of hard practices that were happening. But the word that they kept using was just energy. There was just a lot of energy. And I think, one, the newness of having Quinn have a full offseason with them kind of added to that. You have the novelty of him implementing his system and and what he wants out of this team. Um, Both Trey Young and DeJounte Murray talked about how much they wanted to win uh, this season. They didn't really care about you know stats so to speak obviously you know guys are going to care about that in some shape or form but i think the number one priority was for them to win games and i think we're seeing that kind of spill over into the rest of the the roster and so vibes are good to answer your question in a very long roundabout way So, so one of the early season surprises for the Hawks has been the play of Jalen Johnson. Mm-hmm. He's averaging 13, eight and two while playing over 28 minutes per game in his third season. Mm-hmm. How unexpected was this leap from Jalen and where have you seen the biggest improvements in his game compared to last season? Yeah, I don't think it was unexpected at all. I think the expectation was that he would take a big leap forward, particularly because I think he gave the Hawks enough confidence toward the end of the season. He instilled a lot of confidence in Quinn Snyder. Um, when he came in, I mean, Quinn was singing his praises almost as soon as he walked through the door. But um, yeah, I don't think it was unexpected that he would be able to put up performances like he has so far in these first five games. I think the biggest leap is that he has the confidence of the rest of his teammates and, and that's kind of spilling through. But I think what we'll continue to see from Jalen is just that he has so much versatility. He he can create mm-hmm. for others. We see him um, have an amazing connection with Onyeko Kongu. And I think the fact that they're kind of best friends off the court kind of helps that. But we're seeing mm-hmm. him make plays for other people. Sadiq Bey, Clint Capella. Um, you know, we're seeing him facilitate for guys like Trey Young and, and DeJounte Murray as, you know, they, he gets defenses to kind of sag off of some of those guys. So I, I think... You know, it's it's just amazing to see what having 
the confidence of everyone in the organization does for a guy. And I think we're seeing that spill out. But I also think it helps that he had a, a little bit of a practice session with one of the greats, LeBron James, over the summer. And so I think we're just kind of seeing, you know, this kid mature and, and grow up and, and really step into who he is as a player. Yeah, you mentioned Okongwu. He, mm-hmm. he signed a four-year, $62 million extension with the Hawks uh, this last week. Uh, Okongwu's minutes have increased in each of the Hawks' first five games, while mm-hmm. Capella's have decreased. Mm-hmm. Capella's is still the starter, but how do you think the Hawks will handle the center position going forward this season, and do you expect there to be a Clint Capella trade at some point? I honestly would say I wouldn't be surprised if they move Clint this season, but I I still don't know if I see that happening just yet. It just depends on what the market is and, and what the return is. Um, mm-hmm. I think it is significant that Onyeka has been closing a lot of the games. I mean, in the past, we see, you know, Clint Capella being the guy that coaches tend to, to turn to. But I do think Clint adds a lot of value to this team still, particularly when you know, there are matchups that aren't necessarily favorable for Onyeka. Um, we know that, you know, Onyeka has some trouble going up against Jonas Valanciunas and some of those other bigs who just have a lot of size to them. And even mm-hmm. though he's a very strong dude and and he he can really protect the rim, especially down low, um, there are just some matchups that aren't good for him. And, and that's where Clint is kind of going to come in. And I think we'll see some, you know, interesting things where in that Milwaukee game, they kind of uh, experimented with Onyeka at the four and Clint at the five. So, um, you know, that's something that they've talked about is possibly getting some minutes for Onyeka in that position as a power forward. And obviously it's out of position for him. It's it's not quite, you know, the best mashup sometimes, especially when you have some of those smaller guards who are trying to attack the basket. You can see where he's like overthinking a little bit. He still gets into foul trouble um, early in games. And so I think there's still some growth with Onyeka, and and that's where the value of Clint is, is that you have a guy who, you know, knows the game, who has the experience and who doesn't run into foul trouble. And you knew that and you need that, especially because, you know, if you do move on from Clint at this point of the season, uh, the guy that would be backing up Onyeka in some of those minutes would be Bruno Fernando. And that and that's not a knock on, mm-hmm. on Bruno. He does have, you know, some skills and he's definitely in the NBA for a reason. But uh, we've seen him have some trouble and he just hasn't been able to kind of get into a rhythm. So I think, you know, the Hawks do definitely still need Clint, as I mentioned, particularly for bigger, bigger sized matchups. And um, I do think in the future, you know, that's something that they're going to explore, particularly because he only has two more years on his contract. So, you know, maybe they finish out the year with Clint or trade him in the off season because he'll be on an expiring contract. It's a little bit more, uh, enticing for for other teams but i think the fact that we saw clint's name kind of floating in the trade rumors he might be the next john collins of this team that's constantly in the trade rumors between him and deandre hunter um those might Mm. be those guys that kind of constantly see their name in the news or in reports or anything like that so i wanted to ask you about aj griffin because he was a really nice surprise for the hawks in his rookie season he averaged almost 20 minutes per game Mm -hmm. and his shooting in particular was desperately needed on a team that shot the third fewest threes per game Mm -hmm. five games into this season however griffin is averaging nine minutes and has not played more than 12 in any game 
What do you yeah. think are some of the reasons behind his smaller role early on mm-hmm. in the season? I think one of the big things is that Quinn Snyder is known for keeping his rotations a little bit tight. Um, mm-hmm. And I think he he really prides guys that have a strong defensive presence. Um, and that's not to say that AJ can't defend at all. I just think that you can see the inexperience with him being a second year guy and him still kind of getting into trouble as far as, um, you know, not being in the right spot at the right time. Uh, his on the ball defense has been really great. He's pretty good in one-on-one situations, but off the ball, you can see him sometimes go to overhelp in situations and he leaves a guy wide open and then he has to kind of close out late and it winds up being a made three pointer. So I think the biggest thing for him is taking a step forward defensively. And that's kind of how, you know, he'll earn more minutes on the floor. But as you guys mentioned, his shooting, Quinn has brought up that, you know, in situations where they need that, he will, he will bring AJ. And I think, you know, the more he can consistently hit shots, uh, I think that's going to be the way that he kind of cracks into the rotation a little bit more, but he just, he just hasn't quite been hitting them as much as we saw last season. And then when Mm -hmm. you couple that with some of his, his defensive struggles, it's kind of hard to, in some ways justify putting him out there, particularly with how Quinn wants to play the game. He wants them to uh, score off of their defense. And if you're not getting takeaways, well, uh, you're putting them in a bad position because they do oftentimes that their offense dictate their defense as opposed to the other way around. So Trey Young and DeJounte Murray mm-hmm. had a slightly negative net rating in their minutes together last season. Going into year two of this backcourt, mm-hmm. what have been your early impressions of how they've been playing off one another? Yeah, I think you can really start to see the idea of sacrifice i think that was kind of one of the big things with them last season it was a okay you score i score when trey's not on the floor that's when i go and get my my minutes or my stats excuse me my shots my score my assists all of that um whereas this year you really see them thinking about the unit as opposed to themselves and um quinn wants a very unselfish style of basketball and i think we're seeing that kind of manifest between the two um, particularly them feeding the person who's the hottest. We saw that in that Minnesota game with DJ going off in that third quarter, having 22 points, a perfect uh, third quarter, and they just fed him. And I think the more that they do that, it trickles down to the rest of the guys. They had eight players in double figures on Sunday when they played the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think that's just kind of how they want this team to to play. And I think because of the attention that those two command from defenses, it just works in the Hawks' favor if they can continue to play unselfishly as opposed to trying to go ISO in situations where it doesn't necessarily dictate that. Um, You know, they want them to kick the ball out to a guy like DeAndre Hunter or Jalen Johnson. Obviously, it helps that those two guys are actually hitting shots early in the season. Um, But... (laughs) I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing so far and I'm I'm pretty pleased with is just kind of the unselfishness, as I mentioned. Obviously, you want to see Trey hit more shots than he has been. Um, he's been pretty inefficient so far in these five games. But I think uh, if I could take away one positive, and I mentioned this um, to someone yesterday, but he he was pretty 
good as far as not doing those usual chucking up shots early in the shot clock on Wednesday when they played the Wizards. He ended the night 7 of 18, which I know it's not uh, huge, but for Trey, not necessarily inching into the 20s in terms of field goal attempts, I I, I take a positive away from that because that tells me that you know he's, one, reading the game a little bit more appropriately and not forcing the situations to he's putting a lot more trust in his teammates to knock those shots down or or uh find the right spots and i think it does help that he has guys like sadiq bay who can take shots from outside but can also bully his way into the paint and kind of just like bulldoze guys over just because of how strong he is so I think that the fact that the Hawks do have a few more options that can make things happen on the offensive end has kind of maybe taken some of the pressure off of Trey to feel like he has to uh, chuck shots up or or do things on his own. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for answering all of our Hawks questions. Yeah. But it is now time to play Andrew versus The Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head against an NBA beat writer this week. Okay. Lauren Williams, Hawks beat writer <laughs> at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Now, Lauren, how this works, yeah. uh, I came up with eight questions, all okay. related to the Hawks. Some are easy, some are hard. You'll choose a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get okay. it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one, and then we'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, Lauren, what number would you like between one and eight? Let's go in the middle. Let's do four. Question number four. According to Cleaning the Glass, which Atlanta Hawk currently has the best on-off number with a plus 21.1? I feel like that's Jalen. Jalen Johnson. Lauren? That is correct for two points. (laughs) (laughs) I just knocked my headphones off if you guys can (laughs) see this. Out of excitement. (laughs) Out, Out of, of jubilation for <laughs> getting the question right. Uh, yeah. right number Andrew, one. The board is your number one. Here we go. Okay. Ooh. DeJounte Murray. 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 I almost called him Murray. Murray. Uh, DeJounte <laughs> Murray scored 41 points this week in a win over Minnesota. Who was the last Hawk other than DeJounte or Trey Young to score 40 points in a game? As a Hawk? As a Hawk. Boy. Who's the last Hawk? That's a tough to do one. It? That is a tough one. Boy, it doesn't feel like anybody that's on the current roster would no. have done it. <laughs> is it, it. Is it John Collins? That is incorrect, Andrew. Yeah. Lauren, you have a chance yeah. to steal for one. I was going to say, if it's somebody on the current roster, my, my bet would have been on Bogey because he would have gone off for threes, but I feel like that's yeah. not it. <laughs> Uh, oh, is that your is that your final? Yeah, answer? that's that's my final answer. Lauren, that is also incorrect. The correct uh, answer was Dennis Schroeder. Oh, uh, so it's like been a minute. Yeah, it's been. A minute. It was twenty nineteen. <laughs> it's been a minute. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, Yikes. so Lauren, you're up to zip, and you have control of the okay. board. Let's do six. Question number six. Question there are only six. eight active NBA coaches with more career regular season wins than Quinn Snyder. And we're going to try to name them all. Now, how this works, Lauren, you'll give me a name. Then okay. Andrew will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until one of you stumbles. So this is the 
active NBA coaches who have uh-huh. more career oh regular gosh. season wins than Quinn Snyder. So where would you like to start, Lauren? I'm going to start with Pop. Popovich. A great guess because he's number one on this list. Yes, <laughs> yep. that is correct. <laughs> All right, Andrew. How about Eric Spolstra? Another good guess. He's number three on the list. Back mm. to Lauren. Okay, current, 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 current. Um, let's go with. Let's go with. Sorry, I'm going through the coaches. Rick Carlisle. Great guess. He's number two on the list. You all have gotten the first three names on the list. Okay. Andrew, where would you like to go next? Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr. There you go. Number five on the list. So you've gone through half the names. There are four active NBA coaches left who have more regular season wins than Quinn Snyder. More regular season wins. Um, let's go with Tibbs. Tom Thibodeau, number four on the list. Okay. Uh, very impressive. Wow. You you all got <laughs> top five names. There are three names left. Andrew. Three names left. Do you have what another about coach Michael Malone? Line? Michael Malone mm. is number seven on the list, which means there are two coaches left. Okay. Whew. And if you guys get There's all of them, uh, Lauren of would get two points and you would get there. one point. A lot of coaches. So there are two coaches left who have uh, more career regular season wins than Quinn Snyder. And it doesn't have to be with one team, right? Correct. I guess tip. Okay. Um, let us guess shot in the dark. No, no, I'm not going to guess that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh... Okay, I do want to know who your shot in the dark. Eventually. <laughs> uh, let's go with Steve Clifford. That is incorrect, oh, which okay. means Andrew gets the one point. The other two names, uh, any guesses, Andrew? Mike Brown. Mike Brown was one. Oh. He's number eight. And then Frank Vogel. Vogel. I was like thinking like Vogel or Lou. I couldn't yeah, decide. I was thinking, I thought Vogel, but I didn't. Mike Brown was my dark. My shot in the dark was Dagnall. Is that how you say his last name? With OKC? Dagnall. 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 Yeah. yeah, just because he's been there for so long. I was just like, maybe that's he, him. But... He had too, too many bad teams. Too yeah. many terrible yeah. teams. Too yeah. many. Exactly. That's why I was like shot in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there, there were actually like three guys who were within 20 wins of Quinn, like right behind him. I, I think Tyler oh, really? was one of them. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. There was, it was very close. Okay, Andrew, you've cut the lead in half and you have control of the board. Ooh. Number two. Question number two. According to Business Sport Journal, the Hawks mascot, Harry the Hawk, is the second highest paid mascot in the league. Who is the highest paid mascot in the NBA? Oh, I think I know this one. Is this Benny the Bull? Andrew? That is incorrect. He's number three. Oh, really? It's, yeah, it's got to be you? not. I think it's the Denver Nuggets mascot. Rock, Rocky? No. Is that his name? Lauren? That is it's correct. A Can I, it is okay. Rocky. Wow. <laughs> I was like, I know Rock, this one. Rocky's right, too. Rocky's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How did you Hawk, know that? 
600 um, I actually I remember yeah, it coming was, out. Yeah, it came out, but also shout out to James Edwards from The Athletic. He did an article yeah. on uh the Denver Nuggets mascot being like the dad of the Pistons mascot. And somehow I feel like that came up in there that he was one of the top paid mascots. So I think, yeah. That is the most James Edwards story <laughs> ever. He's, he's good at what he does. You know? He is. I saw him uh, Monday. Got to have, yeah. have a meal. With, he's so great. Shout he out to is. James Edwards. Shout out to James Edwards. Okay, Lauren, you have regained your two-point lead, and now you have control of the board. Uh, let's go with seven. Question number seven. Okay. What is Patty Mills' career high in points for a game? Now, before you answer, you get to choose who answers first. So you can make Andrew answer, and then you can go higher or lower, or you can answer, and then he can go okay. higher or lower. However, if you make Andrew answer and he gets it exactly correct, yeah. you will get a bonus point for that. So something All to be right. aware of. Patty Mills' career high. I'm going to go... 35. All right, Andrew, the bar has been set at 35. Would you like to go higher or lower? Oh, that's a great number. Did a really good job. Um, I'll say higher. Lauren, you were one off of the <sighs> correct answer. And the correct answer was 34, which means you no! get the point. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yes. Wow, that's very impressive. You were you were one away from getting one the away. Point. Does not happen that often. Yeah. Ooh. Has it ever happened? Uh, it happened once for sometimes when I say like most steals in a game, it's like it can only be so many. So you can yeah, kind of yeah it's like close. seven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh okay, Andrew. It's not looking yeah. great for you. You're down five to looking, one. There's three questions really left. Uh, number three. <laughs> number three. Question number three. Okay. According to HispanosNBA.com, the Atlanta Hawks are the fourth shortest team in the NBA by yeah. average height. Name one of the three NBA teams that is shorter than the Hawks. Oh, my. That is a... <laughs> impossibly difficult question yeah no it's not no it's not just think of all the teams so like, the thunder definitely like come to mind first but the problem is they don't have any like really short guys yeah you need like these they have really short they don't have any really tall guys but they don't have really short guys either so like who are the who are the teams that have a lot of really short guys i think is a question it's all relative right about. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, no, yeah. Who are the who's the team that has the most normal sized guys? <laughs> um, who would that be? Goodness, Al, that's you only have, you have to get question. one. I've been very nice on this question. There's three yeah, of them. Sure. You just have to name sure. one. That's very generous of me. Oh, I just saw New Orleans a couple of days ago, and they have a lot of shorties on their team. So I'll, I'll just say them, Andrew. That is incorrect. Oh, Lauren, you have a chance to steal. Um, any any teams you've been thinking of? Yeah, I was thinking. She's gonna nail this. I can just feel it. She's the New York Knicks. That is correct. Oh, I knew it. I knew she was gonna nail. I knew like <laughs> this is gonna be one of my most embarrassing performances on Andrew versus the Beat ever. I was like, uh, yeah. I the feel the like other teams. Bronson kind of. 
tilts the, I think you. the only yeah. one I would have guessed was Golden State because yeah, like, Steph, mm-hmm. that was one that. I, yeah, that was yeah, one that I one. I, I feel dumb in hindsight for not. And then that, and the then, Suns. Uh, uh, the Bulls. The Bulls, the Bulls are the other team. Caruso, Kobe White, Javon Carter. Yeah, Javon Carter, sure Kobe White. Yeah, the normal yeah. size guys. Yeah. Man. So it's like Bulls, then you said Golden State, then. Uh, Golden State's the shortest, and then Knicks, oh. and then Bulls. And mm. then Hawks. According to Hispanic. the shortest team in the league tonight. Woo. <laughs> so exciting. In Love person. it. No, what Wait, a treat. Shortest team in the league. Okay, Lauren, okay. Uh, you are destroying Andrew. It's six to one. Uh, and there's still two questions left. Let's go with eight. Okay. Number uh, eight. Lucky this number one's eight. A little confusing, so uh, <laughs> like, pay close attention. Who is okay. the only player on the current Hawks roster who played for the Hawks as a rookie but has not played for Atlanta his entire career? Oh. Well, I feel like that's got to be Bruno Fernando. That is correct. <laughs> two points. Yeah. That was one that right, I knew. Andrew. And uh, yeah. unfortunately for you, Andrew, it is currently eight to one. Uh, this is one <laughs> of your biggest defeats of all time. However, you can make it a little less bad by getting. Is this, this an eight point? Is this the, are there eight points here on this question? Uh, no? Let's check here. No, there are only two. Okay. Um, so you can right. you can close the gap though, eight mm. to three, and then who knows what happens after that? The game's over. Actually, okay. <laughs> last question, Andrew. Last season. Where did DeJounte Murray rank on the Hawks in total free throws? In total free throws. Yes. I know it's low because I've I saw the I saw it recently. I didn't see his ranking, but I saw yeah. like his free throw totals were really low. So I just have to give you a number. That's right. Yeah. Oh boy. See like fifth? Andrew, that is incorrect. Okay, Lauren, you can get one more point. You can finish this off with a bang. Ruin Andrew's Friday (laughs) going into his weekend. Um, I'm going to go one one below Andrew and say six. Should have gone one higher because it was fourth behind Trey, DeAndre Hunter. Yeah, I was trying to. See, but it doesn't matter because Lauren, you are <laughs> victor this week, eight to one, and Andrew versus the Beast. Congratulations! Ooh, that was uh, that was. I haven't been beaten that bad in a long time. That uh, you know, it's a very humbling moment to uh, cried get in destroyed in trivia like that. <laughs> <laughs> what is, what is your like record against beat the Beast? Uh, so I have planned to do this. He started off like 0 and 11, and then he really went bad. on a crazy streak. And he is, he, in general, Andrew's like very strong at trivia now. And it's actually a surprise when he gets beaten. So this is this this is a, you should be proud of this. I'm you very should, proud. Yeah. I it's, love trivia. It's been a minute. Yeah, I haven't been I haven't been blown out like this in a long time. Um, hey, go read Lauren at the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Uh, tell tell everybody your Twitter handle and and anything else that you would like people to know about your work. Yeah, so my Twitter handle is Williams Lauren L. I was cursed with a very common name, so it made made it really really hard <laughs> to settle on an actual handle. I think I went through at least like five different tries because they also limit yeah. 
how like how many characters you can have in your in your Twitter <laughs> handle if you did not mm-hmm. know that. Um, but I would just say like I have really enjoyed covering this team so far. Of course, there's some nights you know being a beat writer, you're like oh they're playing you know, the Wizards on a Wednesday night. Great. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm just hoping to continue having fun. Going to be in Mexico City for that game against the Magic, which will be really fun. fun. Um, And that's next Wednesday, next Thursday, next Thursday. Um, So that'll be cool to experience that and and cover them in an international setting because, yeah, it's fun being outside of the country. Yeah. And you do a uh, Hawks podcast as well? I do, the Hawks Report. It's not very consistent right now, um, just because there's a lot of lot of stuff floating around um, here at the AGC. They're hiring like crazy, so there's like a lot of confusion with everything. But yeah, the Hawks Report with my handy-dandy trusty producer, I call him, Daniel Salerson. He actually used to cover the Pelicans, who the Hawks play on Sunday. Yeah, 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 I know yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's great. So, it, it's 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 a fun time. He he knows his stuff with basketball, so it's it's really yeah. fun being able to talk hoops with him and and just talk about the Hawks. And hopefully, they won't be a five hundred team this year because they'll be better than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, but. thank you again for joining us, Lauren. Go check out all of her work, and um, we will talk to you again next time. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Thank you. All right, Andrew, that was Hawks week. What a week it was. Hey, three and one is the wheel. That's great. Teams? We'll see. Shout out to the wheel. Shout out to the wheel. Um, okay, so we have 28 teams who could possibly be the team of week three. <laughs> uh, obviously, a lot of teams on here, just not Portland and Atlanta. So let's yep. see who we get. The wheel is spinning. And the wheel of fandom team this week will be... The New York Knickerbockers. Wow, the right, New, New York, York Knicks. Knicks. I, okay. I mean, a very interesting team. That... Yeah, let's see. Uh, let's see who they're playing this week. Where's? Oh, we're, wow, a lot of national TV games tonight at Milwaukee. Wow. Then Monday night against the Clippers. Probably going to be Harden's first game. Possibly. That's great. Yeah. And then. Wednesday against the Spurs on ESPN. When wow. That's a great that's a great three game stretch right hey, there. That is. They uh they needed the wheel, honestly. Like they, they need the luck of the wheel to to bring them through. They do, hey, yeah. That, that's, that's a tough little stretch. That's a tough stretch. Hey, if you will leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on the show. Uh just like this one from Z Vobernick. Five stars, uh, random day, slam and jam. He said, "Congratulations on uh, giving this uh, <laughs> me giving you a five star review." I don't even know what my username is because I don't own an Apple device, and I had to use my work phone for this. I'm probably gonna get fired now, and it's definitely your fault. You two are awesome. I love the show. Now back off. All the love, Zach V. Thank you, Zach, for sacrificing your. <laughs> yourself for the good of the show uh this one comes from greece this comes from sirios uh saturday friday or any day of the week slam and jam 
was and remains funny, informative, and generally amazing from Nikos from Greece. Wow, thank you so much for that review. And then uh, this one comes from uh, Wizards Trash Talker. He says, the Friday Slam and Jam surprise team picks surprise us again. He says, dear Andrew, as much as I respect your bold pick in choosing the Wizards to be this team's surprise team, as a Wizards fan, I resent it. We finally torn it down. Winger, Dawkins, and Schlenk are building for the future, not for 35 wins right now. The 34 to 35 win seasons of the past three years are now in the rear view. We finally have a losing team. Todd Gibson, Mike Muscala, Gallinari, and Shamit be damned. They're not rising this tide. We want Koulibaly blocks and steals and goofy shots from Poole and Kuzma. Kuzma, if you will. Anyway, I always love the surprise team segment and picks. Hopefully Alex hits another Cavaliers-like pick with the Spurs this year. Five stars. Thank you so much for that review. And if you read or if you review us on Apple Podcasts with five stars, we will read it on the show. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. Uh, Enjoy the weekend and the in-season tournament basketball. We'll talk to you guys again next week.